0: Well, this morning we are departing a little bit from our tradition. Traditionally, uh, my wife speaks on Mother's Day. And I, I'll i probably miss that more than anybody this year. <clears throat> but we are in the middle of the story. And so we are pressing on through that. Our, our last... Uh, we're going to finish the story right before Labor Day. And so we're going to just keep pushing through this morning. Next week... Uh, Dr. Pat will be speaking. I invite you to continue reading in the story. Uh, I will not be speaking, there will, will not be a message next week on the story, but it's important to keep reading through that so you get the continuity of the story. I don't know about you, but it's been a very good experience for me personally going through the story. I know. I know for me, I'm I'm looking at things differently, and I I noticed it this year at the National Day of Prayer. We met in Emmanuel Thursday morning, 6.30. Probably 300 people got together. And I experienced a couple things that I had not experienced in the way that I did that morning. Here's the first one. I had a hard time In fact, when we, Color Guard came up, said the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, I had a very difficult time putting my hand over my heart and saying I pledge allegiance to the United States of America. That has never happened to me in that way before. Not that I don't, not that I'm not grateful for this country. Not that I am not committed to caring about this country and praying for this country and working for this country. But there's something at this point in history and this point in time about putting my hand over my heart and pledging allegiance to the United States of America. And something inside me said, no, I want to pledge my allegiance to Jesus Christ and his kingdom, and, and he is superior in my life. I looked up front, and there was a man who was at attention to the color guard. And I thought, you know, I could do that. I could salute our men, but I'm having a much more difficult time going through the Pledge of Allegiance and I understood why there are people that want to take out the phrase one nation under God. One nation under God. We stand and make that pledge and it's almost starting to sound hypocritical. Are we, are we really pledging and proclaiming ourselves as one nation under Under God, it seems to me we're wanting out from under God, not wanting to come under God, because to come under God is to come under his word, under his statutes, under his principles, and it seems like we are just pushing that away. So that was one thing that I experienced that was unique to me this year. The second thing I experienced was as as a gentleman was up praying for our country and you know, praying that we would humble ourselves and pray, I felt in a renewed way the urgency of that and the seriousness of that prayer. You know, I have grown up in a country that has never lost. We have never lost a battle, a war. We won the Revolutionary War. I'm from the North, so we kind of won the Civil War. World War One, World War II, Korean War, Vietnam, Desert Storm, Iraq, have we ever lost? We have been successful in, in the battles, and I'm, but I, I, in a new way, I'm, I'm looking again at history, and I'm looking at Israel who was successful and successful and successful, and then they weren't successful. It had nothing to do with their armies. It had nothing to do with their power. It had nothing to do with their ability. It had to do with what God was doing in response to their actions towards Him. And as I sat there, you know, I realized we're only 250 years old. It's not very old. It was, you know, 900 years till God brought the flood upon the earth in judgment. It was. 400 years before God brought Israel into the promised land to punish those nations for their evil and their disobedience to Him. And I just realized in a new way that unless we do, as our pledge says, become again one nation under God, one day we will wake up and we will have lost. And God will have taken that blessing off of us as He does other nations, all nations who refuse to honor him as God and as Lord. Well, Israel has been divided. First by internal strife, and as we'll see as the story goes on, because of the internal division, they would be defeated externally on the outside. We have, again, here it is. I'll remind us, it's important to remember as you're walking through the story, there are ten tribes... Ten tribes to the north, and they're called Israel. Ten tribes to the north, Israel. And then we have two tribes to the south, which is Judah. Two tribes to the south, which is Judah. So that's, that is, the, uh, that is the, the outline there that we have in this story. And uh, you'll see it on your form there. You can fill that out. Important to remember this. Ten tribes go to the north. It's called Israel, as you read on from here in the Bible. And the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, to the south is called Judah. It's through the tribe of Judah that the line of the Messiah would come. But We see God here is, is dealing with these people. Why? They are, they are being defeated. And it's because they failed to live as one nation under God. We see that during these years of decline in Israel, it all came down to the people who led them. When they had good leaders, they prospered. When they had godless leaders, God did not prosper them. And they continued to decline. We see here that during these years, there were 20 kings in the north in Israel and 19 kings in the south. And so here's what God did. The kings weren't listening to God. And so he raised up prophets. They're called prophets in the Bible. And as we walk through the story, we're going to move, we're just about up to the books of poetry. And once you get past the books of poetry, then it's all about the prophets. Four major prophets and then the minor prophets. And that will finish out the story in the Old Testament. So all of these prophets that you read about in the Bible... Were men that God raised up to speak to these kings and to try and get them to turn back to Him. In Judah, we had twenty kings, and God used twenty-two named prophets to speak to them. Twenty-two different men that God used to speak to uh, to Judah. Judah had 345 years before they were taken off by Babylon into captivity. So during those 345 years, there are 22 men. The north, they didn't last as long. They had about 210 years before Assyria would come in and take them off into captivity. And so we see that there were prophets that spoke. In Judah, we have all the major projects or prophets Isaiah Jeremiah we have Ezekiel and Daniel those are the larger bigger books and they're listed first in your bible then we have the minor ones Obadiah Job Micah Nahum Zephaniah Habakkuk these are all guys that God raised up to speak to the kings in the north in the south there are 19 kings and there are 11 named prophets. The most notable are Elijah and Elisha, by the way, whose stories take up quite a bit of the reading for this week in the story. And there are three of those prophets whose books are in your Bible, and, and those are Jonah and Amos and Hosea. Now, I've chosen one of those prophets this morning just to highlight. The logical choice would be Elijah. Remember the story of Elijah? This king or this prophet that God called to face one of the most evil kings there was, Ahab. And so Elijah comes, faces Ahab. He says, let's do a contest between your prophets and your God and my God. So they both do these sacrifices and the prophets of Baal are crying out for fire to come down and nothing happens all day and they're cutting themselves. And then Elijah steps up and as many of you have probably read the story, the sacrifice is put out. He has gallons and gallons of water dumped upon this thing. So there's no doubt, no doubt that uh, something magic, you know, underhanded's is going on here. Douses the whole thing. Lifts his hands to God, and fire comes down and consumes the sacrifice, the water, the altar, everything. It's very obvious who is the one true God. All the prophets of Baal are slaughtered. Jezebel, Ahab's wife, is a very wicked woman. She is absolutely ticked off and and threatens. Uh, Elijah, who ends up in a cave, depressed, feeling like he's had this great victory, and now he's still out. People are still just out to kill him. And so he, he prays to God, and God comes there and, and speaks to him. L- lots of messages in, in that story of Elijah. Elijah passes on the mantle to Elisha, who asks for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And God gives it to them, and and these prophets do amazing things. I mean, raising people from the dead. Lots of stories there. But we're going to talk about somebody different this morning. I want to talk about a prophet from the north who ministered up in Israel towards the end of of Israel's time before they were taken off, and things were bad. I mean, when you look at the kings in Israel, I was looking at a list, a chart, a chart, of the list, and it was telling what kind of king they were, they were listed as bad, very bad, and the worst. The best one was not good, but better than the rest. That was Jehu. That, that was the best that they could come up with in the north. So this was, this was a, the people of God at their worst in the north. And the prophets that's raised up is a guy by the name Of Hosea, he ministered the longest. He ministered through the reign of seven different kings. So this guy was around a long time—forty years—and and and I want to just highlight him this morning because it's a very, very powerful message through this prophet. Now the story begins, and some of you know the story, and uh, and some of you don't. But it begins with a very. Very strange command. God told these prophets to do some really weird things. But he was trying to get the attention of the people. And so he would use the life of the prophet as an object lesson. So we have uh, a Jeremiah who was asked to walk around. You know the yokes that they put around animals and oxen? So Jeremiah was called to walk around with a yoke around his neck. And these guys did this for long periods of time. Ezekiel, as as a demonstration of what God was trying to show his people, was called to lay was called to lay down on one side of his body for 390 days. Thirteen months he had to lay on his on his side because God was trying to get something across to his people. Isaiah ran around barefoot and naked for three years. How'd you like that assignment? And what he, how God used that was, he said, Isaiah's, Isaiah said to the people, Assyria, if you don't repent, Assyria is going to come. They're going to take you into captivity. They will strip you butt naked, and they will lead you through town in that way. So every time the people saw Isaiah barefoot and naked, it was a reminder that this is what's going to happen to them if they don't repent. But the guy I wouldn't have wanted to be, I would not have wanted to be Hosea. Here's his story in Hosea 9. Now the word, first chapter, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Barry, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. During the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. Now when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, here's what he told him to do. Go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diplam, and she conceived and bore him a son. He goes on. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre of Jezreel, and I'll put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. And Gomer conceived again. Notice, though, it doesn't say that she bore him a son. She just conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. The Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lorahumah. For I will no longer show love to the house of Israel that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them not by the bow, sword, or battle, or by horses or horsemen, but by the Lord their God. After she had weaned lo Gomer had another son. Then the Lord called him Loami, which means for you are not my people, and I am not your God. So here's your assignment. Hosea, I want you to go marry a woman who's basically a prostitute, who's an adulterous wife, and you will bear, she will have children of unfaithfulness with you. That's your assignment. And so Hosea goes out and he does as the Lord had told him to do. Now many of us... uh, know the story. Maybe it's a new story for you today, but here's what we see happen, is that the first child is born to Gomer and Hosea. It appears that the next two children were from some other father. And as was predicted, this woman named Gomer, after a short period of time, is out with other men, other than Hosea. She's gone she's not coming home at night and Hosea comes home night after night probably wondering who his wife is with tonight next thing he knows she's pregnant there's another child and uh, this went on for years it doesn't tell us how long but this was the assignment of this prophet and and God is doing something through this very strange call upon this man In the story, we see it finally gets to the point where after years now, his wife is at a low point in her life. And this is what God tells him to do. The Lord said, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer of barley. And then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must must not become a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I will live with you. We see here that Gomer was called to go to find her, to track her down, to buy her In essence, from her pimp or from her slave driver, whatever situation she was in here, she was now obviously in a a very, very low place. And so that's exactly what he does. He goes and finds her, and he is to bring her back home, and she is not to have any relationships with any man, and the context seems to say for a period of time, including with Hosea, And Hosea is basically saying a message from God. This is not about, I'm not here for uh, your body. I'm not here for sexuality. I am here. I want you to come and I want you to realize that I love you for who you are. God is making a powerful, powerful statement here. in in the midst of all of this adultery and all of the pain that God is bringing on. And, And listen to verses 10 and 11, chapter 1. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore which cannot be measured or counted in the place where it is said to them, You are not my people. They will be called sons of the living God. And the people of Judah and the people of Israel will be reunited and they will appoint one leader and will come up, out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. In other words, God here is promising them that as bad as things have gotten, that, that there is still a blessing that God wants to pour into their lives. It's amazing. And so the rest of the book is about a listing of the sins of the people and the pronouncing of judgment and, and the call to repentance. So why, why did I pick this story <clears throat> this morning? Well, there, there's, there's a couple of threads that, that wind their way all the way through the story. You know, what, you know when they make material, there's, there's threads. Have you ever seen a, a, them weaving something? One thread will go back and forth and back and forth all the way through the material. And there are a couple of threads that we see winding through the whole story. I mentioned one of them last week. And that was, there are always consequences for sin. Way back to Genesis, all the way through, whenever people departed from God, whenever they ignored his word, there were always negative consequences. God would forgive, but there were always negative consequences. Every time you depart from what God instructs you in in his word, there will be negative consequences in your life. Life may go on fine for a while, but the consequences will come. We we see that repeated over and over and over again. God is very patient, but there will come the discipline of God. There will come the judgment of God. God is not mocked. Uh, We will reap what we sow. And so that's a principle that we see all the way through the story. Here's a second thread in the story of Hosea that weaves its way all the way through the story, and that is this, no matter how bad we get, no matter how deep man falls away, no matter how hard man pushes God away. If man is willing to return, God is always willing to take him. And and so he calls this prophet, he says, I want you to demonstrate this thread. I want you to demonstrate this to the people of Israel. I want you to live it out in front of them. And they they were following this story. That even after multiple, multiple adulterous affairs and rejection of me and and chasing after other lovers, I am still willing to to come and receive you back. In fact, I will pay the price. I will pay the price to get you back. And that thread winds its way through this story. The relentless nature of God's love. You know, people today avoid God. Uh, I think they'll, they'll deny even His existence. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But I think one of the reasons for some people is that they kind of have this concept that if, you know, they're kind of in a car and they just keep on the gas because if if God ever catches up to him, it's gonna be like the patrolman that walks up with his ticket book and and he's gonna write you up for everything you've done over the last 2,000 miles that he's been chasing you across the country. And this story tells us that we might be very surprised. If we were to stop the car and pull over, we might be very surprised the words that God speaks to us. Hosea finally catches up with Gomer. She's in the middle of some place with some other guy. And to her amazement, he's forking out the money to buy her back. A lot of people don't believe that. They, uh, a lot of people are just running from God. Some people are running for God. Like, if I do enough stuff, then, then God will accept me back. And, and really the point of the story is that what we need to do is not run from God, not run for God, but we need to run to God. Because this is a God of relentless, unrelentless love. His message to Israel is simply this. I want you. I I will find you. I will pay the price to get you back. And when I do, I will not use you and I will not abuse you. But I'll invite you to find your identity in what I've already done and find your identity in my love for you. Hosea's life and, and message is one of those proof texts for something that I said at the very beginning, and that is this. This story, what we're going through, if I could sum it up in one sentence, what the Bible is about is the extent to which God will go to buy you back. The extent to go that God will go to to enter into a relationship in which he wants to bless you your life. It's a powerful, powerful message. And no matter how far we push God away, no matter where we go to in that relationship, we will find him there seeking us out. Father, this morning, we thank you that you are a God who is relentless in your love. We thank you for this uh, this woman's insight. And uh, Lord, I, I believe bearing uh, a sense of your image of who you are and the kind of love that you have, that you are a God that is not going to quit sacrificing, that is not going to quit loving, whose love is relentless for us no matter how far we run, no matter how hard we push. And so, Father, we, uh, we thank you for this message of Hosea this morning. Lord, I just want to pause this morning. Lord, you speak to people through your Holy Spirit. For anyone that you might be speaking to today, people who have been pushing you away, people who have been resisting uh, Lord, people that just can't believe that you are a God that simply wants to love us and bless us, that you are that your love is pure, it's, it's not manipulative. It's, it's just a love that wants to bless Father uh, for anyone whose eyes you have opened today. Lord, that kind of relationship is open to the work of Christ his coming, his death, his resurrection. Through faith, Father, you will love us. You will forgive us. You will, through that blood, you bought us. You found us not in the palace, but in the brothel. And, uh, Lord, your desire is to bring people back. And so, Lord, if that might happen for some, anyone here today, Lord, we, we will give you praise. Father, thank you for this great love. We get to live in it. We get to trust in it. We get to enjoy it every day. And so we just commit uh, ourselves anew and afresh to believe, again, this powerful statement of your love for us today. We praise you in, in Jesus' name. Amen.